Hey, it's Nick. Thank you for listening to the Upgraded Executive Podcast. We are bringing you insights from experts from around the world so you can improve your personal and professional performance. This episode is a little bit different from our normal format. What we thought we would do is we would give you a preview into what you can expect from Upgraded Executive in 2020. So Ben and I do a quick recap on how 2019 has gone. And then what we'll then be showing you is a showreel of some of the guests that we've interviewed. So we've highlighted sections from the podcast that we think you really enjoy. And these will give you a great insight and a great preview into what you can expect in 2020. If you're enjoying the videos and podcasts, we would really appreciate it. Really, really appreciate it. If you could subscribe to the podcast and like and subscribe to our videos on YouTube. Finally, if you'd like to get access to our content one week before it's released, please leave your details at www.upgradedexecutive.com forward slash subscribe and we will send you a special link so you can access the videos one week before we officially release them. I really enjoyed recording the first 10 episodes and... There's loads of gold there, loads of great content. And as we said, sort of early on in 2020, we'll break that down into sort of bite-sized chunks. So we'll take each episode and have it broken down into sort of various topics. But for me, starting to engage some of the guests has been like really exciting. Like it's like I'm getting to interview some of my heroes, and that's just like mind-boggling. The people that I thought that would be fairly inaccessible, have been so accommodating, they've been great. Uh, I couldn't put it better. I think it's a privilege for us to be able to speak to them and, and also share this information out there and just try and make it a bit more digestible for people. Because I know there are, there are lots of great podcasts out there. What we do that's different is we're making it digestible. So if you're, if you're new to this whole area, then you know hopefully we are doing it in a way that means that you can understand. Just some of the names we've landed have just been like, like how? You know, it's like, so. Yeah, when we've been conversing with people, we've, it's I help us so we can help others. Mm. And I think, actually I don't think, I know the people that we're speaking to have the same philosophy. Yeah, yeah. So I'm gonna put you on the spot now. <laughs> so, what have been some of the highlights for you in, in terms of the people that you've spoken to? I have no favourites. Everybody's been really good. So the first guest we recorded was John Jakewish. Yes. And <laughs> that went for an hour and 20. And then we were like, bonus, we've got two episodes here. I love that was just Sorry. gold. I love John's. And... You know, I, I've been showing his photos going, this guy looks like the Incredible Hulk. And they're like, I said, he doesn't look real. Um, when I've been speaking to people, it's John. John's a very, everybody's intelligent that we're speaking to, both mm. um, emotionally and academically. You know, John's a PhD. He's an inventor. He's got an MBA. Um, so he's, he's worked this out in his mind. He's designed his own product. He's used his own product. And within a two-year window, he put on 45 pounds worth of muscle. I mean, it's just crazy, you know, 45 pounds worth of muscle. And then you look at his photo, a massive appreciation for his photo. He's got 
a very small body fat percentage and does mm. look like the Incredible Hulk. And people are like, that can't be real. Yeah, and he's just just a cool, nice guy that is walking his talk. You know, he's yeah. invented their own product and then used it and got results like exactly. that. Exactly. You know, and every, everybody that I showed the picture to, they go, he must be taking something else. I'm like, no, no, no. <laughs> you, know, you know, having spoken to John, he's not that kind of guy, you know. Um, so, yeah, it's just all, it's just X3, Osteo Strong and two steaks a day. Yeah, just... I was going to say, he eats a lot of protein. <laughs> the other guest that was really, really kind to us at the outset was Susan Downs, Dr. Susan Downs. I met her at the talk that I did at the London Futurist Group. Uh, we then met her at her home in London. She's now back in San Francisco. And I think, for me, I think a lot of the guests that we've had on the show would have seen Susan and looked at her credentials and gone, oh, no, these guys are serious. Because um, she's president of the Silicon Valley Health Institute and her, her breadth of knowledge is amazing. And the amount of people that she knows is amazing. And she's such a genuine, gentle soul that wants to do the right thing. Um, you know, I, I have a huge appreciation for Susan because I think you know, particularly, particularly her and John, and I'd also say Aubrey de Grey as the first three big names that came on the podcast. I think those have really helped us attract other stellar guests too. And people might never heard of these people before. In their fields, mm -hmm. I, don't know, I don't know if there's a ranking system, but they are world-renowned within their respective fields. Mm -hmm. So these, you know, Dr. Susan Downs, um, her credentials are ridiculous, mm. um, genuinely ridiculous. Very, very impressive. And a, just a lovely lady. She was really mm. giving and generous with her time and her, her thought process. Mm. Um, she's also had two films removed from, from Amazon. So she's clearly ruffling some feathers. Mm. Yes, she is. Yes, she is. But and I think Susan's just taking the messages that lots of people are saying on different podcasts. And she's trying to take it mainstream. There's a lot of Netflix documentaries out now on the health side, and um, they've all got a different angle. Mm. I should remember um, who was it that told me that they're not documentaries. It was Ryan Munns. He said, "Nick, they're not documentaries; they're just films." And he's absolutely, absolutely right. You know, as John was saying, you shouldn't get your health advice off Netflix. Susan's just trying to spread the message wider. Um, and we'll help her do that. I think they all are, aren't they? they they're all, um, I would say, very, very informed. And this is, this is some of the subjects are wide in terms of um, the, the knowledge mm. as well as deep. And some people will view their, um, their opinions as controversial. Mm. They won't agree with them. Yeah. All the people we're speaking to are credible when you look at their um, their backgrounds, their academics, their commercial experience, their accolades. Mm. Very interesting people. Yeah, they are. We really want to bring people onto the podcast who are, I guess, are on the edges. Mm. Yeah. Somebody coming on and saying you need to be the balanced diet. Isn't that interesting? I think some of the people who have got quite different views. And whether they align with ours, it doesn't really matter. But those people with different views really become thought-provoking. And I think that's part of the, 
part of the excitement with DUE to really try and stretch the boundaries on not only the thinking for our audience, but us too. I mean, I've, mm. I've come off several podcasts with you and we've gone, wow, mm. that was unbelievable. And I think for me, the biggest wow moment I had was when we interviewed Aubrey de Grey, which would be released in January. And Aubrey was telling us all around his anti-aging research. And it's not about anti-aging, it's about reversing aging. And in fact, he said, quote me if I'm wrong here, Ben, that he's got a 50% chance of reversing aging by 30 years in the next 17 years. Yep. If you can do that, that's just like blows my mind. Absolutely blows my mind. And again, he's so credible. And lots of people would be thinking, no, surely not. But just literally listen to that podcast. It's absolute gold. I think it's worth saying as well, <clears throat> we're deliberately trying to keep the recordings to 45, 50 minutes, which allows people on a commute to listen to them. But mm. it's, we could go on for hours with these people. So we're, we're mindful of, we're, we're, we're trying to keep the interviews on point so people are informed enough there's not too much detail and they don't go on for hours. So mm. somebody can gel up on a subject and have a more informed position um, without spending three hours listening to a subject matter expert talk around every single element in granular detail. Yeah. And our plan is to break these videos down into smaller chunks too. Now, I think it's difficult to break down a podcast into smaller chunks because just the way the podcast platforms work is not really going to work. But if mm. we can try and get some shorter form videos on YouTube too, then people have the option in terms of they can watch a between a five and a 15 minute piece or they can watch the whole episode. So one of the things that we're, we are doing and we're looking at building on next year is that, is that breadth of experience. So Robin Graham's interview was very interesting to me as well, which as well as talking around <clears throat> insights from, from business people, um, so, such as recently Sabir Chowdhury, um, talking to experts in the health space, talking to experts in the fitness space and the wellness space and the biohacking space. There's also the spiritual element. And Robin really brought to life some of the aspects within that community, certainly from a business perspective. So I'm looking forward to speaking to more interesting experts around the space of spirituality, um, but crossing over with with the business world for next year. Mm. Awesome. Yeah, and you know, we've we've had some real household names like Joel Cohen of Runs Self Hacked. We've got the performance coach to the stars, Ryan Munsey. Ryan was awesome, I think. Very cool. And so was Joel. Um, like really the insights are just amazing. I think of every interview so far, I've just taken so much stuff personally. And, you know, I feel as though I'm in this world, you know, I'm sort of consuming the content, I'm listening to podcasts, but when you get, when you get to speak to these guys and girls one-on-one, -on -one, you really start to get some, like, real gems. I'd love to interview some people next year around the spiritual side, and I don't want to lose the audience with this, but I'd, I'd love to talk from a... And we're going to be speaking to lots of neuroscientists and mixing it up in terms of where one can go in terms of the consciousness. Because um, I so believe the powers within. And in mm. terms of opening up that door, I really want to see where I can take that. And I'm a massive fan of Joe Dispenza. And I'd absolutely love to get him on next year amongst some other people to talk around this in more detail. So cool. hopefully that'll be the case.
hashtag Joe Dispenza. <laughs> so if anybody knows Joe, let us know. For the audience, if there's anybody that you feel you really want us to interview, then please do let us know. You know comment on any of the platforms, drop us an email. We're, we're pretty accessible people, so just let us know. And if you want to be a guest, let us know. If you know somebody that you think would be a great guest and you know them and you want to introduce them, then perfect. We interviewed two people yesterday, so it was Shrini Pillay and Shubhir Chowdhury. Oh. I think off the back of those two podcasts last night, we were just wowed. It was, you know, I think it was a real experience yesterday. Um, you know, I think the, the generosity of their time and the insight they gave us, and I think people probably think Shubhir is probably quite different to our other guests, but in terms of the value he added, there was so good. There was no less value there. You know, it was, it was so good. It's probably one of the best interviews I think that we've done so far. Yeah, I can't I can't say favourites. However, I really enjoyed yesterday. <laughs> it was amazing. <laughs> like absolutely amazing. For anybody who doesn't know who Bear Chowdhury is published his first book at 27. He's written over 15 books. He's one of the leading experts, if not the leading experts in the quality space. He has personally consulted with the CEO of General Motors and he helped them find over $3 billion, or $3 billion worth of savings within their company over an 18-month window. The, the guy's interview was absolutely amazing. Um, from start to finish with his passion, his energy, um, his, his warmth and his, his generosity in terms of what he was saying. It was, it was such a privilege to listen to and, and be part of. I guess by the time this goes out on the 29th of December, there's going to be two episodes of John. There'll be Robin Graham and there'll be this episode. Uh, a lot of the guests that we've been speaking about here, are we've pre-recorded and we'll be releasing weekly. You now hear from Dr. Susan Downs. What would you say are the proactive steps that people can take towards optimal health? Well, you talk to any health expert, including reading Nick's book, Limitless, <laughs> and they're going to start with the basics. You start with a healthy diet. You start with organic food. Um, you don't, if you're eating animals, which I highly recommend, make sure that they're grass fed because if they're not, they're going to be eating things, insecticides, hormones, antibiotics, which will harm us, or they'll eat stuff that's been sprayed with this. And, um, so you got to eat, if you're eating animals, you make sure they're grass fed. If you're eating fish, make sure they're wild because farm fish, according to Joseph Pisano, who's written several books on toxins and founded Baster Naturopathic School, the worst food you can eat is farmed salmon. It's mm. got everything you can imagine. If you want some antibiotics or you want some antidepressants or any pills, farm salmon should have them for you. So it's just a regular happy pharmacy. So you eat wild fish, organic uh, vet produce, uh, many colors as possible. You take care of your sleep. You take care, you deal with your stress and work with it. A little bit of stress is good. There's a hermetic principle that will, you know, that'll get things going in the body, but too much stress if we're overwhelmed is not good. Good sleep, good exercise. <clears throat> Every expert you have on the show, including Nick, will say the same things. And 
and minimize your exposure to toxins. Well, the film I'm editing now is called Toxified, and uh, we, our goal is just to wake people up to these toxins. But what you do is obviously minimize exposure. And you don't know where the exposure is coming from. I mean, women put all this glop on their face, and I guess men do too. All those chemicals go right into the body, and they just kind of add there and accumulate. I mean, the Environmental Working Group, their website is EWG, you know, www.ewg.com. I think they did studies that you take a woman who's pregnant and they've got like uh, 200 chemicals in them, or you look at the um, the cord connecting the baby, and that's got all sorts of chemicals in it. Mm. And this is pretty serious because these things add up. And people don't realize they put clop on their face and fragrances. Mm. That's just a trade word that can have 100 chemicals in it, many petrochemicals, maybe even more than that. And they don't have to disclose it because of trade secrets. Mm. Where can people get trusted information from, Susan? Well, I mean, yeah, everybody's talking about false news. I mean, my film, The Big Secret, has been censored. We were on Amazon mm -hmm. Prime doing fine. And then Congressman Adam Schiff, who's very busy going after our uh, the major tweeter in the U.S. right now, but he asked Jeff Bezos of Amazon to remove a lot of documentaries. Mine, The Big Secret, was one of them. It's now mm -hmm. on Vimeo Prime. But... And, and a lot of documentaries like um, the Brzezinski cancer documentary, uh, that was taken off. It's, it's just, uh, it, I mean, they used the issue of vaccines as a Trojan horse to come in and censor whatever they want. I am told that Google is making it very hard to find information on health. Uh, Joseph Mercola, Kelly Brogan, Sayer G., they're all bloggers on health. Used to be you put in psychoneuroimmunology. Kelly comes up on the first page. Now she's on page 23. What's going on? Why are they making it difficult to find information of alternative um, information on health? I think to get accurate information, I think you're just going to have to search. It's, I mean, your program and other programs, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's going to be really hard because the information is being buried in the U.S. and universities. Same thing. You now hear from Dr. John Jaquish. Well, most people have pretty low bone density just because of the poor nutrition mm. that we've had. Um, Plant-based diets are very damaging to bone. Mm -hmm. um, you know, uh, oxalates damage bone. That's what vegetables have. Yeah. So, uh, you know, vegan and vegetarian nutrition is uh, strongly correlated with low bone density and high fracture rates. Uh, so, you know, like the Western world is 70% plant-based nutrition. Mm. So, you know, it's just getting worse and worse. And, and now when I say plant-based nutrition, I'm including Coca-Cola yeah, because that's made of plants. And, and that is where people are getting their calories. It's mm. French fries, Coca-Cola chips. I'm, I'm not just saying, you know, by eating your asparagus, your you're compromising your bone density. You are, because mm -hmm. that's awful uh, for bone density. But uh, it's it's uh, also, uh, and, and we see um, Dr. Sean Baker cites very frequently that vegan vegetarian nutrition, he, he would try and screw broken bones back together and they wouldn't heal. He, he would actually see the bone mass not able to heal with vegan and vegetarian nutrition. 
And uh, yeah, we got to get away from plant-based nutrition. You know, the people who, especially in biohacking, they haphazardly jump from one modality to another, not even realizing what effects different things have. It's sort of like a mad dash to like spend as much money on their health as possible. And then when you look at them like a year later, you're like, you improved nothing. Mm. Right. You got to, you got to realize the power of the intervention in question. And then give it its full test. You know, somebody gets X3, use it for six months mm. and see what happens and follow the nutrition program. Mm. And don't think you're going to outsmart some of the things. It's one of the biggest problem I have is people want to add stuff like, mm. oh, I'm going to get extra results because I'm going to throw in some, you know, some stupid exercise. Uh, and, and there's a lot of those, by the way. Mm. Uh, where they're almost creating more of an injury situation than they are like helping anything. Mm. And they, um, they end up having very diminished results. And then they say, well, you know, it didn't work as well for me as it did for Dr. Jaquish or 20 uh, the other 20 people on the website. And it's like, yeah, because you did it wrong. Mm. Follow the program. Mm. Like it went way out of my way to optimize that mm. so that it's right. And then don't, don't start rearranging it. Like there's a reason Apple glues their phones and there's no screws on the back because there'd be some moron who would try and open it up and say, Oh, I'm going to put in, you know, an extra memory chip in there or something like that. And they'd ruin the phone. Now hear from Robin Graham. Well, it's what's exciting over the last few years is the quantity of people who are becoming aware and recognizing that they're, is new ways of doing it, or they don't may not know how, but they know mm. there's got to be a better way. And that's kind of how I got involved with this. I knew there had to be some way to address this. Um, and so, you know, to say there's a, con you know, a pattern, I don't know that I could uh, identify that. What I would say is most of the time, individuals recognize that they keep hitting their head against the wall and not moving forward and they keep mm. trying different things and things are not working. And so they're searching and they, there's a, almost like a little voice in their head that says, there's got to be a way, keep looking, keep looking, mm. keep looking. And so they end up connecting and somehow finding out about this particular methodology and connecting with someone somewhere in the world to do the work. And with organizations Often what I think happens with an organization is that, well, it's known that billions each year are spent on training and development. And the next year, billions are spent on training and development. <laughs> and the reason is because they're looking for a result. They're looking for behavior change or whatever it is. Most, not all, but most training and development is focused really just at the conscious mind, mm -hmm. at coping and adapting, awareness. Well, we can be aware of a lot of things, but awareness doesn't necessarily change our behavior. Well, you know, companies are not just an entity called a company. Companies are built of people. And so I think there's a transition and a evolution occurring in individuals. Some of it might be the millennials and the Gen Xers coming into organizations right, who have a whole different mindset already and approach about business and why they're in business. They want to make a difference. So if, if a company is just about, you know, 
check yourself at the door, the old traditional way, check yourself at the door, come in and do your job. We don't want you to smile. We don't want you to have fun. Or we're going to play like we're doing team building because that's what you want. And so there's this integrity gap. Um, then the, the individuals that work for that company, if they're passionate about making a difference and it's, it's not um, aligning with who they are, then they're going to leave. And so I think organizations have finally figured out they can't just surface it, greenwash mm. it as they term it. They have to really have a congruency in how they're doing things. So I agree with you that the stress can show up in a lot of different ways and people end up um, self-correcting, uh, uh, covering it up in a variety of ways, whether that's through pain pills or through alcohol or drugs mm -hmm. or whatever it might be. And one of the beautiful things that I think is spectacular that's been going on over the last few years is the uh, opening of meditation and yoga that's going on within organizations. And so I think that's a beautiful approach to help people in a, in a moment uh, practice it through the, the workshops that are offered there. But then they have that capacity in that moment to, um, I'm trying to see if we locked up again. Are you guys there? All right. Yeah. Okay. All right. <laughs> okay. Um, so in the moment, what yoga and meditation allows is to just stop and breathe and, mm. and release that stress. Mm. So where perk comes into play is that rather than having the trigger that causes the stress, let's go discover what that trigger is and resolve it at the subconscious level. So you don't have that trigger anymore. I totally think there's a conscious awakening. I think it's phenomenal. You know, we've been doing this work since 1988. And to see the changes that have been going on in the last, I would say, 10 or 15 years, but really accelerating in the last mm -hmm. few years, it's just phenomenal. You now hear from Aubrey de Grey. How long might we live for? Okay, yes. So, hopefully a good question. But the answer is, there is no way to put a number on it. The way I can explain that is that once we develop these rejuvenation therapies that are currently under development, and of course some of them even as far as clinical trials, um, once we get them working and working in combination, which is something that I think we have at least a 50-50 chance of achieving within about 17 years from now, mm -hmm. those therapies will give us perhaps an additional 30 years of life. But because they are rejuvenation therapies, they will give those 30 years, not to people who were born then or who were kids then, but to people who are already in middle age then or older, let's say 60 years old for the sake of argument. So what I mean by that is that if we give a 60-year-old these therapies at that time, then they won't be biologically 60 until they are chronologically 90. Right? Um, that's 30 years. So we've bought these people 30 years of time. But we've also bought the scientists 30 years of time mm. in which to improve the therapies. Now, we will need to improve the therapies because when these people come back and they're biologically 60 again, the damage, what I mean by that is that the amount of damage they have in their bodies will be the same as it was before they got the therapies, right, mm. when they were 60. But the composition of that damage will not be the same because the therapies will, of course, be repairing some of the damage, right? You know, we'll be applying these therapies as often as we like, which means that the easy damage will essentially not exist. It will be negligible in abundance. But, and, and the reason these people are biologically 60 for the second time is because the difficult damage on its own has 
um, risen to the level of abundance that uh, was equivalent to 60-year-old. Right. So we will need better therapies. If we just carry on giving the same therapies, then nothing's going to happen. And the um, person is going to carry on getting more and more damage and getting sick and dying. But of course, this 30 years that the scientists will have had to improve the therapies, that's a hell of a long time in technology, any technology. And of course, we're talking here about refining something which is already working at level, you know, version 1.0. If we look at other technologies in in history, we see that subsequent to the initial fundamental breakthrough, the refinements that improve the quality and the performance of the technology are always really rather steady and rather rapid. So it is absolute racing certainty that by the time these people are 90, we will be able to give them substantially better therapies that will repair not only the easy damage, but also a good chunk of the difficult damage. So we will be able to re-rejuvenate the same people and that means that they won't be biologically 60 for the third time until they're, let's say, 150, mm. and so on. You know, basically the job is here is just to keep staying one step ahead of the problem. And as you can see, actually it becomes progressively easier to stay one step ahead of the problem because the residual damage that's so difficult that we can't fix it yet becomes more and more residual. Right? It takes longer and longer to reach the pathogenic level. So this is what I've called longevity escape velocity, the minimum rate at which we need to improve the comprehensiveness of these therapies in order to actually do this, stay one step ahead of the problem. And it's certain that we will achieve that subsequent to getting that first 30 years of life extension that I believe we will achieve with this first generation panel of therapies. So what this adds up to in terms of your original question, Ben, is that people will just never get sick from having been born a long time ago. They will always remain young adults, biologically. And therefore, the risk of death will be the same as the risk of death of young adults. You now hear from Shubhya Chowdhury. I never ever thought in my wildest dream it will reach 1 million views. It is the, one of the most watched commencement address in 2019. In, in the whole speech, basically the whole speech is about making choices. And what I did in the speech, I literally, because I kind of feel it is my job to share with the, them. And, I, and, and most of the audience, they felt, these students, they felt being a business management thinker, I'll talk about business stories and anything. But what I felt, I kind of soul searched myself before I wrote the speech, trying to figure it out why I became what I became today. Who is the foundation made me today? Mm. And it is none of the CEO, none of the quality gurus. Do you know who, was, who shaped my life? It's my grandfather. And he was an elementary school teacher in Bangladesh, one mm. of the poorest of the poorest guy, right? An elementary school teacher of Bangladesh, right? Because when you are young, like when I was five years old, six years old, he, to my age 13, 14, he has spent an enormous amount of time with me, right? Mm. But he used to teach some of the principle, which at that time I didn't understand. But he put me in my DNA. And I shared three of his stories in that speech. Three of the stories I shared. So what he did, he gave me the choices of life. So think about this. When I was only five or six years old, he gave me a pen and a coin. A pen and a coin. And he said, I was five years, six years old. He said, choose one of the two. 
So every time I choose the coin, he said, no, you always choose the pen. So I said, grandfather, why, what do you mean by I choose a pen? He said, anything you see, anything you see in the world is all created by the pen. He said, that building you are seeing, that is created by the pen. The book you are reading, created by the pen. Um, anything is all created by the pen. So by the time, then he said, because it's created by the pen, it is so powerful. If you focus on the pen, you will have so many coins, they will follow you. You will not know how to keep all the coin. Then, and when you have so much of coin, then you start giving it to other people, right? I didn't understand that much. And then he said, so you are reading a book, Shubir. It's created by the pen. So anything is created by the pen. If you like something or dislike something, you have started writing to those people who created them. So I said, Grandpa, I read a book. I like the book. And if I write a letter to the author, that's what you are telling me? He said, yes. So I said, he said, even if you don't like it, you also give your opinion to the author, your opinion. So I said, I'm a boy. I'm an eight-year-old boy or 10-year-old boy. If I write to them, these authors will not reply to me. And he looked at me. He said, no, they will. I said, what do you mean they will? He said, I told you to believe in the pen. If they don't reply, first time, write them the letter again. So I said, suppose I write 100 letters. They didn't reply. He said, write the 100 first time. <laughs> so guess what happened? By the time I was 12, all the top laureates in Bengali literature, in both in India and in Bangladesh, became my friend. <laughs> Think about the leadership skill I developed. <laughs> Think about a 12-year-old. When you think about kind of light in general, you mentioned, mm -hmm. Nick, like I, I, I would consider myself pretty sensitive to bright blue light too. Mm -hmm. uh, and maybe that's because I've now been using, you know, blue light blocking glasses in the evenings for so long. But like if I'm, you know, if we've got four kids and so, you know, we're not going to, you know, crawl in a cave in, in the evening. So when we flip on the TV <laughs> at night and some, you know, there's a lot of times where I'm, I'm having to work late into the evenings, but if I'm not wearing blue light blocking glasses mm. um, that, that prevent um, uh, or help diminish or reduce the amount of, of blue light exposure, like I, there's no doubt, like my, my, I, I struggle to fall asleep um, mm. in, in the evenings. I'm, I'm that much more stimulated. And that makes sense when you, when you think about um, the, the signal that blue light has within our, within our brain, you know, during, you know, bright time daylight, you know, I'm out in the sun right now. Um, the sun, there, there's, there's blue light emitting from the sun right now. And that tells that's that's a signal to my brain that I should be wide awake. I should be awake. Mm. Um, but once the sun sets, um, you know, if you, if you kind of think about natural circadian biology and ancestral kind of living, once the sun sets, my body really should begin to kind of be preparing for sleep. Mm. And if I'm still being exposed to bright blue light, there's mixed signals going on, right? The bright yeah. blue light is saying, Hey, Scott, you should be wide awake, you know, and ready to, you know, ready for, ready for work, ready for play, whatever. But if I'm, I don't want that type of signal in the evening when it, when it's, you know, when it's, you know, I'm an hour or two away from, from, uh, you know, from going to sleep. And so, and that, that's really, I mean, this, this whole topic is, um, it's, it's a massive deal, right? Not just in the U S but, you know, any, any sort of, you know, developed country is that like our lives are, our modern lifestyles are the exact opposite of how our, our sort of biology has adapted over the years. Um, we're now, there's a pretty well-known stat, at least here in America, that um, we spend 93% um, of our time indoors. 
right? Um, yeah, yeah. I and mean, when you think about that, it's like, I, I, when I first heard that stat, I was like, nah, that seems way too high. But then I started thinking about like my, my sort of my lifestyle, at least in, Min in Minneapolis, because you in, in Minnesota, because you just don't get a lot of natural sunlight. I, I woke up in the morning and got ready for, this was pre-juve. I, so I woke up in the morning, got ready under artificial light. I commuted, um, usually during, you know, before the sun had, had commuted to work, before the sun rose. I was in an office all day. And then by the time I commuted home, the sun had already set. So it's like, man, I, I, might, I might actually be more than 93%, you know, um, under artificial light. And so, um, and, then, and then, you know, if you, if you kind of go deeper on that topic, we're, we're like most of us that we're, we're getting overloaded with bright blue light at the wrong times of day, you know, yeah. bright blue lights. Okay. During, you know, in the mornings um, or during the day to kind of um, help reset our, our circadian rhythm because it, we should be awake, you know, in, in during, during the day, but at night, you know, standing in, you know, um, in front of a, a really bright computer screen or really bright TV that that's emitting bright blue light that tells our serves as a mixed signal to our bodies. And, and so it's really, and then that's, that's the, the sad reality is that most, most people are living that type of lifestyle and not, not even aware of it, not even cognizant of it. And they're, you know, they're seeing um, pretty dramatic, you know, um, in, negative impact with, with things like sleep. And we all know that sleep is pretty important to overall health. So, so yeah, it's, uh, you know, this, this concept of, you know, over, like getting toxic light, if you want to call it that, I think Dave, Dave Asprey refers to it as toxic light, but just getting, not being aware of light, the, the fact that light has an imp uh, a pretty pretty um, big impact on our overall health, and then you know just our our modern lifestyles don't uh, don't allow us really to probably adopt good good techniques when it comes to light exposure. And so I think that's that's probably mm. the biggest the biggest you know takeaway that I'd probably you know I, I'd I'd love you know to leave your audience with is that you know just be more cognizant of like of light you know its impact mm. on on health and you know overall function. Well, I think like any inventor, a lot of my favorite hacks are ones that I actually develop myself. <laughs> There's something about speculating that something will work a particular way and then trying it out and it does. That, that mm. prediction that's validated is very gratifying to the ego. Mm. <laughs> um, so one of them is, is tryptophan. And... Um, there's a, a problem with tryptophan in that high tryptophan intake is associated with lifespan. Same thing with methionine. It's something that is kind of a puzzling finding, but um, it appears to be robust enough that I operate from that principle that it's not a good idea to have high tryptophan in one's diet. Mm -hmm. But that tryptophan is very important for making serotonin, which is part of um, the sleep process. It's part of the um, search for um, enlightenment and spirituality of being connected to something larger than yourself. The appreciation of that connection to something larger than yourself. Whether you think about that as God or family or mankind or the future, um, there's, there's, a, there's a kind of connection to um, transcendence that's by serotonin in the brain. And I value that. So I like tryptophan. Um, but tryptophan is also um, a problem when you have inflammation. Mm. 
Mm. When you have inflammation, there are two enzymes that get activated, aromatase that makes estrogen and endocaminase, IDO, that, makes, that burns up your tryptophan. And this is part of your defense against bacteria. Um, iron, copper, zinc, and tryptophan are all growth factors for, um, for um, infections. And so your body tends to lower them when you have inflammation. And lowering tryptophan means lowering serotonin, making dominant, and that, that may be very useful for part of your life, but you don't want to run your life in a dopamine dominant way. So by mixing tryptophan with predigested collagen peptides, proteins, which are peptides, one dissolves the tryptophan into a solution so it's absorbed very, very rapidly. Instead of it being a powder that dissolves over hours, it's now in a liquid form that dissolves in minutes, it's absorbed in minutes, and the amino acid profile of the collagen protein is deficient in all those amino acids that compete against tryptophan and transport into through the blood-brain barrier into your brain. And so you get this amplification of serotonin effect that's probably eight to 10 times, um, which is, in my opinion, um, good for allowing you to use the smallest possible dose of tryptophan to get a benefit. Tryptophan is also involved in sugar addiction and in alcohol addiction. So it's nice to know about this if you're an alcoholic or you're a sugar sugarholic that you can use um, this tryptophan solution to mitigate your carb cravings. If you have a sugar save time and you just say, okay, you know, I don't have the willpower to handle my sugar cravings mm-hmm. you know, 24-7, but I do have the willpower to handle it for 20 minutes. Mm-hmm. And so you just make a deal with yourself. If I, you know, take some of this tryptophan mixture, take a swallow, and then say, if I still have three minutes, I'll indulge it. And then 20 minutes later, oh, it's fine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I think that's a really cool um, hack. Mm. Remember, if you would like to access our content one week before it's released, please leave your details at www.upgradedexecutive.com forward slash subscribe and we will send you a special link so you can access the videos one week before we officially release them. You can also follow us on all of our social channels at Connect With UE and also our website at www.upgradedexecutive.com.